This is our last Wednesday night meeting at this facility, so uh, good to have you out tonight. I think when we get in over to the other place, it's going to be a lot bigger, of course, and, uh, you know, probably going to ask you to sit on one side, and I know I'm asking, you know, with God all things are possible, so I'm asking, <laughs> maybe maybe we can sit up front kind of together, you know, and unless you're under discipline, then we'll put you on the other side, way to the back. Anyway, uh, good to see you tonight. What's that? I can. Well, who's, who's going to be upstairs? Anyway, I'm glad you're here. Uh, Jeff is just getting ready to go into surgery. I mean, they're in, uh, was it pre-op? Pre-op? It wouldn't be post, pre. So, uh, yeah, we want to pray for him as we go to our study tonight. So we're in Ephesians. Going to finish out here tonight, verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 18 through 24, concluding remarks and the benediction here. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble, and we thank you for this place you've blessed us with the last 20 years, and uh, uh, Lord, uh, a lot of study, a lot of worship, a lot of prayer, time together here with your people, and and so we thank you for how you've blessed us uh, in this place. We look forward to the transition, and and uh, Lord, really, we know that it's all about uh, your people, though. It's not really ultimately about physical buildings. Yes, they're tools. You can use them, and you do. But uh, we see you're building a church. That's what Ephesians is all about. So guide us in our study tonight as we continue on there. And then, Lord, we remember Jeff as he's uh, ready to go into surgery. We are praying that all would go well. And the doctor, you would just guide the doctor's hands and, and uh, it wouldn't make any mistakes. And, and it would be successful, completely successful as they, they anticipate. Uh, so we pray that that would happen. And there'd be no setbacks and for a speedy recovery. So just uh, all go well in surgery now for him. Commit our evening to you now in the word here. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, a little bit of introductory uh, slides here. Uh, I tried to get it a little bigger. Maybe. Slightly? Yeah. Okay. Ephesians uh, has the theme of the church and starts out with positional truth, as Paul often does emphasizing uh, union with Christ, union with each other, which is really the essence of the church. Uh, We have building on this. Here's who we are, and now here's how we should live. Uh, In unity, holiness, love, light, wisdom, and submission. And then ending the book with this whole thing, it is a battle to the pearly gates on on spiritual warfare. Um, We noted last time in this theme on spiritual warfare, which is most, uh, this is the most extensive treatment we have on spiritual warfare in the New Testament, right here in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. But uh, Paul presents six pieces of armor that you need to have fully applied to protect you from Satan. You need to have in place the the belt uh, of truth, truthfulness, breastplate of righteousness. I think he's really really in this to righteous living. Uh, boots, uh, the gospel of peace, firm stance on the good news of peace, the shield of faith, trusting God no matter what, the helmet uh, of salvation, protecting your mind with the truth of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, uh, using the word with precision. So that's what we, we noted that uh, last time. But right on the heels of that now, as we get to verse 18, right on the heels of that, there is this tremendous emphasis on prayer. Perhaps the strongest verse on prayer that we have in the New Testament in terms of emphasis. Uh, You'll see what I mean as we read verse 18. But even though it's technically not a part of the armor, 
uh, it is listed in very close context here as if to say all of this armor that he has just presented should be bathed in an atmosphere, uh, atmosphere of prayer. So that's really, I think, what we're looking at. You know the old uh, song, Stand Up, Stand Up, Stand Up, for Jesus, you know, yeah. Uh, it goes like this, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. This is our third or fourth verse. Stand in your strength alone, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. I think they got that from this context right here, uh, what we're looking at, where duty calls or danger be never wanting there. But this idea of putting on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer, that really does kind of fit the spirit of what we're talking about in our study here tonight. Okay, well, enough introduction. Let's get into it, and let's have somebody read uh, verse 18. Who wants to read that for us? Verse 18. Yeah, Terry? Praying at all times with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching in all perseverance and supplication for all the set apart. Okay, thank you. Uh, You notice there's a lot of all in this verse, right? Four times in your translation. Uh, three in mind once it's always, but it could be translated as all. Praying at all times, I think yours said. Mine says praying always. But the idea here, praying always, uh, constant. Uh, at every point in the battle, we need to be in prayer. And, uh, you know, they say there's two times to pray, right? When you feel like it and when you don't. <laughs> and sometimes you don't feel like it. But we need prayer. We all need prayer, as as we will see here. And so, uh, you know, for for a a Christian, life is prayer. Uh, I forget who it was. Somebody, I think, working with Billy Graham, and they'd ask, he always said, whenever asking to pray, it's like he just picked up, and Father, just like you just continuing on in in whatever prayer he's involved in. And, uh, you know, life is, is prayer. And to battle effectively, we have to pray. You know, prayer really emphasizes dependence upon God. Uh, You see people trying to do it without God, they're a mess. They're a mess. We need prayer. We need dependence upon God. We need God. God created us for him, and he created us dependent upon him. And prayer uh, does many things. I mean, worship and praise and all, but it certainly recognizes dependence upon God in the context of spiritual warfare, which is the context here. And by the way, remember back in verse 10 where he began this discussion on spiritual warfare, and he said there, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Well, I want to suggest to you that the way we are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might involves prayer. We are not going to be strong if we're not a person of prayer. And this kind of goes along with what Paul says also in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Uh, The idea of without ceasing there is like uh, would be used of a nagging cough. Just constantly we need to be in prayer. Uh, Praying always. Uh, with all prayer, prayer here is a general word, uh, uh, you know, many occasions, different kinds of prayer, that's the idea, uh, praying uh, appropriate prayer related to the whatever occasion there is, but praying always with all kinds of prayer is the idea. And then supplication is, and specific prayer, supplication is specific prayer requests, uh, specific petitions. You know, what I was praying about as we started the meeting here was a specific petition, right, for Jeff related to his surgery. 
That's a, that's a supplication. That's a specific uh, request related to a specific situation. So you got the general word for prayer with all prayer and supplication. Uh, general prayer, all kinds of situations, and very specific prayers for all kinds of specific situations. And generally, supplications are more urgent, uh, urgent situation. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, in the spirit. This is the idea of being in tune with the spirit, um, in step or in harmony with the spirit. You know, I think in the scriptures, you have the flesh contrasted with the spirit. You know, sometimes you can pray a a flesh prayer, right? A selfish prayer, self-oriented prayer. Uh, No, we're not to be praying that way. We want our, our prayers to be in the spirit, in harmony, in step with the spirit, which is really in step with the word of God. I often think about the... Spirit-filled life in Ephesians 5 and the Word-filled life in Colossians 3 are really parallel. So I think to pray in the Spirit is to pray in accord with the Word of God. How do you know you're in step with the Spirit? Well, you're in step with the Word of God. Uh, That all goes together. So uh, in the Spirit, uh, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And then he says, being watchful, to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Being watchful. Uh, the idea of watchful is being alert, being awake. Uh, spiritual vigilance is required. And how are you spiritually vigilant? Well, through prayer. Um, prayer makes you alert, and being alert means you pray. They go together, right? Prayer makes you alert, and being alert it means you pray. If you're not alert, you will be oblivious to danger and therefore will not pray. Satan does all he can to prevent us from praying. He does all he can to put us asleep at our post of prayer. He does whatever he can to distract and dissuade us from prayer. You know, it's really neat to see all of you out here tonight. Prayer meeting is historically the worst attended meeting of the church, right? I have no idea why that is. I'm just kidding. I know why. It's right here, right? I think Satan battles us tooth and nail when it comes to prayer. The Roman soldier who fell asleep at his post was to be killed. It was that serious. They were to do whatever it took to stay vigilant and alert. So also in the Christian's prayer life, we are to take this very seriously. Prayer and alertness are the one package. Uh, Prayer and alertness are one package in the spiritual battle. So yeah, uh, being watchful to this end. Uh, with all perseverance, the idea of keeping on, keeping on. You don't quit. You say, well, I was a prayer warrior, but I've dropped out. No, 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 no. Uh, keep on keeping on uh, with all perseverance. You don't stop. You don't quit. It's never time to quit praying. It's always time to pray. Need more prayer. And boy, as you go along, the more things you have to pray about. Um, I, I, I've got so many things to pray about. My prayer time takes, you know, sometimes I, I, I feel terrible. Here's a confession. I, I've got so much to do. I feel like I've got to rush through my prayer time so I can get to my work. You think that's right thinking? No. <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, you know, I'm not sure this is true, but Luther said, you know, I've got so much work to do tomorrow. I've got to get up uh, early so I can have four hours of prayer before I get to my work. But, uh, and of course, prayer is the work. But you've got to keep on keeping on. Don't quit. And then he again mentions supplication. Uh, persevering, praying for all the specifics, uh, specific things that need prayer. And then he says, for all the saints, for all the saints, um, all God's people need prayer. You know why? 
What's that? Well, <laughs> that's true. But more than that, it's, it's interesting he doesn't say pray for all the unbelievers. You know, we do see that in First uh, Timothy chapter 2, pray for all men everywhere. But here the emphasis is on the saints. What's our theme in the whole book? Well, it's the church, right? And, and the emphasis here is the saints in the context of spiritual warfare. They're the ones that are in the battle. And who's in the battle? Well, everybody's in the battle if you're a Christian. Maybe you're kind of getting, you're, you're not where you should be. Maybe you don't have a full armor on, but you're still getting shot at. And the devil's going to do everything he can to take you completely out. He wants to completely destroy you. You know, it goes about like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may edify. No, no. Destroy. He's out to destroy you. I mean, he really wants to wipe you out. And so we all need prayer. We all need prayer. And, uh, you know, all the saints, I guess, means all the saints, right? You got some people who say, well, you used to be on my prayer list, but you've made me mad. I'm taking you off the prayer list. No, no. Uh, all God's people need prayer. Even those that uh, maybe we're not so fond of all the time. Even those that rub us a little the wrong way. They still need prayer. I really try to pray for my worst enemies, uh, Christian enemies. <laughs> I still try to pray for them. Uh, they need prayer too, right? And, and what I always pray is, Lord, your will be done in their life and mine. You know? And it's good to remember what Paul said in the context of spiritual warfare, right? Who do we wrestle against? Well, not against flesh and blood, but with the forces of darkness. So our battle is not really with other people. Seems like it sometimes. But uh, we need to be praying for all the saints, you know. And, and the, sometimes the worse the saints act, the more they need the prayer, right? And we all need prayer. And it's easy to be critical, uh, you know. Sometimes uh, being very discerning and being critical can kind of go together if we're not careful. Uh, there's a place for proper discernment. There's a place for... Uh, uh, Proper criticism, for sure. But people do need prayer. Brothers and sisters in the Lord need prayer. And that's what his emphasis here is. Uh, for all the saints, not just some of them, for all the saints. We're all targets of Satan. We're all involved in spiritual war. We all need prayer, that's for sure. So I say, I think this is one of the strongest verses in the New Testament on prayer in terms of emphasis. Man, how could he say it's stronger? Praying always? All prayer and supplication? Uh, all perseverance for all the saints, tremendously strong emphasis on prayer all the time, all the saints, perseverance, you never quit. I, I don't know. Could he made it stronger? I'm open. I'm not sure. How do you make this stronger? It's one of the strongest verses on prayer in the New Testament. All right. Any other thoughts here? So we move on to, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Could that also be uh, in accordance with God's will? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's really what I'm kind of trying to say in, in accordance with the word of God. You know, you're praying in the keeping with God's will. Well, how do you know what the will of God is? Well, as far as the revealed will of God, we know it from the word, right? And I do think, though, what you're talking about is in the spirit of things, too, or as Christ prayed, uh, not my will, but your will be done. You know, that spirit of things where I'm not insisting on my own agenda. So, yeah, yeah, that's good. All right, anyone else? Okay, very good. Let's have somebody read verses 19 and 20. Who wants to read that? 19 20. Do not. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. 
Okay. Uh, it mentions boldly twice, right? Well, Paul needed to ask bold, for boldness twice. I, I don't know about you and me, but uh, I do know about me. <laughs> I need prayer for boldness. He says, for me, you know, he's got basically one personal request here. Where's he at as he's writing this? Remember? It's one of the prison epistles. So he's writing from prison. You say, well, pray for me, you know, that they start treating me right. Pray that I get a fair hearing. Uh, pray that, you know, for all my... Fit. None of that. See, well, you got one prayer request. What are you going to ask for? Well, here's what Paul says. He didn't ask for health issues, uh, you know. He asked really for boldness that he might share the gospel, for the cause of the gospel. For me, that utterance may be given to me, that is, that he may have opportunities. It's good to be praying for open doors, right? Divine appointments, uh, that utterance may be given to me, that I might have an opportunity. And then when I have the opportunity, now what? Uh Uh-oh, there's an opportunity. Now what happens? Uh, That I would be bold. Uh, That I may open my mouth. That's the first thing you have to do, by the way, if you're going to share. It rarely happens with a closed mouth. Sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut for sure. But as far as sharing the gospel, you, you got, the first thing you've got to do is just open your mouth. And that's sometimes the, the hard part. We keep it shut when we should uh, open it, and we keep it open when we should shut it, right? we got a mouth problem. But here the issue is the gospel, and Paul's asking prayer that I may open my mouth boldly. This is the idea of uh, with courage, with courage. Really, it's literally freedom of speech, uh, where you have the freedom to speak, and you have the boldness to speak, and you have liberty to to speak uh, in an unhindered and uh, free way. So that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. Now, that's an interesting phrase, right? He's praying about a context where he will... uh, have boldness to speak the mystery of the gospel. I want you to think about this because I think there's two aspects to the gospel and he's thinking about one specific aspect related to the mystery. Uh, You know, when we think about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, we think about 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, right? Where Paul says, "I, I make known to you the gospel. And uh, what is the gospel there? Well, that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. According to the scriptures. Is that a mystery? Some new revelation? Previously unknown? No, no, no. It was according to the scriptures. This is not new material. Mystery is something that's previously unknown. A divine secret that was previously unrevealed. That part of the gospel was not a mystery. So what was uh, a mystery? Well, the secret aspect of the gospel that was a mystery was what God was now doing in conjunction with the Gentile world. Where they are now on an equal footing, Equal spiritually, uh, spiritual partners with the Jews, Jew and Gentile, one in Christ. That aspect of the good news was now being revealed, had never been revealed before. And that's really what he has in view here. A um, couple of slides here. Ephesians 3, 3 through 6. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. 
That's what he's talking about. As I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Well, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. See, this is brand new. This is brand new material he's talking about. In other ages, it was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. What? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. There you go. That aspect of of mystery related to the gospel that involves the Gentiles is really what he's praying about as far as boldness here. And why might he be uh, concerned about boldness in that in that context? Well, this aspect of the gospel was very radical in the context of Paul's religious background. The Romans considered Christianity as a sect of the Jews, but the Jews considered it heresy. Now, as Paul is on trial, the Jewish religionists were there to be his accusers. And they would really take exception to the fact that now both Jew and Gentile were spiritual equals. How do you think that's going to go at trial? Emphasizing that aspect of the gospel. Not well when your Jewish accusers show up. You're going to need a little boldness in that context. That's what he's talking about. There would be lots of pressure to compromise this aspect of the message. And so Paul is asking that he be strong and bold on this critical point. I think that's really in context what we're talking about here in terms of his asking for boldness here. All right. Um, Any other thoughts? Nope. All right. Let's press on. Verse 20. He says, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Uh, An ambassador in chains. That's interesting. Uh, uh, An ambassador is a dignified representative who serves in an official capacity. Uh, and, And so he sees himself in this kind of this dignified role as an ambassador, as an ambassador. However, he's in chains. Uh, Kind of ironic. Ambassador and chains don't normally go together. Don't you have some kind of immunity as an ambassador? (laughs) Usually, humanly speaking. But here, this ambassador, ambassador for Christ, is in chains. He's in handcuffs, uh, probably to a, a Roman soldier. In Ephesians, Paul designates himself as a prisoner on behalf of the Gentiles, of the Lord, and of the gospel. Really, this is a package. And so uh, all three of these things really kind of come into play as far as uh, why he is in prison. Again, he says that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Again, he has one specific prayer request for himself, and that is that he speak boldly. It doesn't really matter how people respond. His job, his responsibility as an ambassador was to make the message known and to do so boldly uh, without compromise. All right. Any other thoughts? Okay. Let's, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Pretty much, pretty much. Yep. Pretty much. I mean, that Paul, this was Paul's life. Live for the gospel. Absolutely. So this is the main thing, main thing on his heart, even at this point. So, all right. Somebody want to read verses uh, 21 and 22? Yeah, John? Yeah. 
Okay. So there's a lot of other details I'm sure they wanted to know in terms of what Paul's going through. Uh, you understand he had spent three years at Ephesus. He would have been close to a lot of these people. They would have wondered, how in the world are you really doing, Paul? You know, this is, we think this was very probably a circular letter, so he's writing kind of generally. But he's saying, I'm sending Tychicus, and, and he'll catch you up you know, on every, everything about me and what's going on with me. And so that's what he says, but that you may know my affairs and how I am doing. As far as the specifics, we say, well, he, he only shared one very spiritual prayer request for the cause of the gospel. That's true. But there's a lot of other things going on with him that undoubtedly would have been shared by Tychus. Undoubtedly, a lot of other things to pray about, including physical needs and so forth. So it's not to completely put that aside. Uh, that kind of comes in here, it seems. And so he says, Tychicus, uh, who is probably the carrier for the, both the letter of Colossians and, and Ephesians and maybe some other letters, too, but Tychicus, a beloved brother. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say just a brother. He's a beloved brother. I think he had a special place in Paul's heart. They were close. Uh, you know you have brothers and then you have beloved brothers. It's not necessarily bad. I mean, Jesus had the inner circle even, right? And then there was the, the disciple that he loved. Didn't he love the other ones? <laughs> he loved them all. But there was kind of a special relationship between Jesus and John. Was there anything wrong with that? Was it sinful in any way? Just, just asking. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Uh, we're we're going to get closer to some people than other people. That's true. And uh, Paul was undoubtedly very close to Tychus, as he refers to him here as a beloved brother. They were close. He was special. And then he says, and faithful minister in the Lord. Uh, faithful minister in the Lord. What, what a high commendation here, right? He's dependable. I can count on him. He's, he's a faithful minister in the Lord. Uh, trustworthy, have confidence in him. He's proving himself dependable, faithful, faithful minister, uh, beloved brother, faithful minister. These, these are, you know, Paul thinks very, very highly of Tychicus. And then he says, uh, in the Lord, you know, 27 times in the letter uh, we have in the Lord or in Christ in the book of Ephesians. It's a dominant theme uh, in the book. In Christ is the idea of being in union, in union with Christ. And that's where we are as believers. We're, we're in the position of, of spiritual union uh, with Jesus Christ. And so he says, this one, uh, who is a beloved brother, faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. Uh, we don't know what all those things were. Probably a lot of things related to his health and well-being, uh, his situation, uh, where they were at in the trial. Uh, the lawyer didn't show up on a given day. I don't have any idea what all those details were. Um, I don't think Paul had a lawyer probably, right? But anyway, uh, verse 22. Whom I have sent to you for this very purpose. Uh, his very purpose was to send Tychicus to let them know about all things that are going on with him. Uh, Tychicus was in the know. Like I say, he was close to Paul. And if anyone knew, he knew. That you may know uh, our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Um, throwing this out for discussion, how do you think he may uh, comfort their hearts? I think they were heartbroken. Here, here he is. Uh, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, is in prison because of his ministry to the Gentiles. If you trace it back, that's why he's here. And I think for these close to him at Ephesus, Ephesus it kind of broke their hearts. And so he's saying, I'm sending Tychicus to you that, he may, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. How do you suppose uh, he would comfort their hearts? Any ideas? Yeah. My translation has 
right? Nuance there. Sure, but I think it's in the context of uh, you know his personal well-being here and what's going on with him in jail. And so certainly, I mean, there's a general edification, but there seems to be a context really related to him here, which I think is why they translated here that he may comfort your hearts or encourage your hearts. So, um, you know, yes, Michael. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, it's it's emboldening to people that aren't in the midst of persecution to see people who are suffering persecution persevere. Yes, indeed. And I think what was going to be relayed is, is a strong man who is really taking a strong stand for Jesus Christ. And that's going to comfort them. That's going to encourage them. And uh, when he shares how God is using him in the prison, as he does in, in Philippians, how many in the palace even had come to know Jesus Christ, and, and how God was using him there. And just to see, hear from uh, how Paul's mindset is and, and how he's doing well spiritually, that would definitely uh, encourage them and uh, comfort them. So I think that's probably what's in view there. Yeah? Uh, you know, all things work together for the good of us who love the Lord. Right? And one would think that putting somebody in jail, I believe in jail, will hinder the ministry. Yep. And, and the Lord said it doesn't. It just opens up another door ministry. Yeah, that's right. For Paul. Right. I mean, he continued to minister to us, to the officials. Sure, Absolutely. And that's the kind of thing, I think, when taking that back to the people here would encourage them, would strengthen them and comfort them too. As wow, God is at work. You know, God is sovereign here. He's, he's still the ambassador for Christ and God's still using him in that context. So absolutely. All right. Yes, Kurt. Yeah. For sure. And, uh, and how God does use people to bring comfort. You know, we comfort. Uh, God is the comforter, but he uses people, as we see in Second Corinthians chapter 1 there. So, yeah, whatever trials we've gone through, that we may be able to comfort others. You know, that kind of thing. All right. Very good. Let's. Uh, yes, Pat. Just a side note, thinking about John Bunyan. Uh, he was most effective where? You know, he was most effective while he was in prison. Well, amen, brother. And what what did he write in prison? Anything that is uh, notable? Uh, only the book that's been second most translated in the history of literature to the Bible, first Yes, amen, brother. Yep, it is amazing how God used it. And boy, what he went through, you know, as far as his family, his blind daughter, you know, I mean, they did, they were destitute anyway. Even when he's out of prison, they didn't have anything, uh, let alone when he is in prison. So, yeah, amen. All right, let's have somebody finish out here tonight, and uh, let's do that with verses 23 and 24. Who wants to read that? Yes, Leanne. Okay, very good. So uh, he, he gives a benediction here. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that Paul kind of in his apostolic role represents God in his benediction. 
Uh, did you catch this? Uh, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of like this is, this is God's disposition towards you. Uh, they are now in a, in a position of being at peace with God and really positionally with each other too, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, as he says in chapter four. So uh, I think he's kind of reminding them is this is your position in, in the Lord. And uh, this is what you should live consistently with this reality that is from God. Peace uh, to the brethren. And uh, love with faith. And they go together. Uh, it's kind of like that their faith would be couched in love. Um, not just uh, love, not just faith, but, but both in, in uh, partnership. Peace, love, and faith. Kind of a package there. From God the Father. He's the source. He's the origin. Uh, from God the Father. And God as our Father speaks, uh, you know, that He is sovereign. He's our, our benevolent caretaker. Very personal. Father is a personal word, right? Uh, personal relationship with, with this one who is sovereign over all. Uh, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're linked there with the word and, which emphasizes equality. Uh, Lord means uh, authority. Or master, and Jesus means savior, Christ means anointed one. And so, uh, as we think about this, uh, you know, just real quickly, let me um, break down this. Uh, nope, I guess I don't have that slide there. Did it? it didn't show up here, right, John? I, I copied that. I didn't know if it was going to show up or not, but that's okay. It was, a, it was another slide that I had taken from somewhere. It's okay. It was just kind of elaborating on Lord Jesus Christ and, and the meaning there. So, all right. Um, notice here uh, the last verse then. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. The book begins and ends with grace. Chapter 1, verse 2. And now here, chapter 6, verse 24. Uh, if you were to get one word that defines Christianity, grace would be a good choice. I don't know if you can do it with one word, but... Uh, really, we preach the gospel of grace. We are trophies of grace. For all eternity, we're going to be uh, singing God's praises. And we're only going to be there because of grace. That's the only thing. Well, I mean, nobody ever merits heaven. Uh, grace is unmerited favor. So uh, let's see. I think this next slide. There. The word grace means favor, the unmerited favor of God. It is the gift of God, referring to that which is undeserved and unearned. Grace is what God did for us on the cross. Grace is what God extends to us in forgiveness on the basis of faith. Grace is seen in all the spiritual blessings that God has bestowed upon us in Christ. Grace is seen in, in spiritual giftedness. Grace is seen in God's empowering us for Christian living and his equipping us for spiritual warfare. Behind it all is the grace of God. I mean, what, what do we have that grace is not behind? Well, nothing. It's all grace, grace upon grace uh, towards us. And so he says here, uh, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Again, he's thinking about the saints. We talk about common grace. The, it reigns on the just and the unjust. But really, uh, he's talking about uh, God's special uh, grace that goes towards those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. In sincerity is unceasingly, more literally, unceasingly, um, let's see, got a couple of slides here. Sincerity is better translated unceasingly. So really, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ unceasingly. We love him. 
We love him. Uh, reminds me of a sermon I heard recently. Oh, yeah. Anyone does not love me more than father, mother is not worthy of me, that kind of thing. Uh, we do love him. Uh, the word refers to being incorruptible, immortal, imperishable, undying, unfading. The fact is that true believers are characterized by a love for the Lord that will not die. It's not a passing fad. True faith has the fruit of true love for the Lord that has the quality of permanence. This is loving the Lord sincerely and genuinely. These are the ones that are truly the recipients of the grace of God in earnest. That's his point, right? Uh, Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ unceasingly. Special grace benediction uh, bestowed upon them here. Uh, God's grace can be resisted and rejected. Not all are the recipients of God's special grace. We speak of common grace being shed on all. It rains on the just and the unjust, as I said. However, the, the favor of God uniquely rests on those who genuinely love the Lord. In grace, God brings people to where they love him. We love him because he first loved us. But then as we respond in love to him, he pours out further grace upon grace. God is constantly gracing our lives. And indeed, he is. Okay, uh, I have three more slides to kind of summarize our study in the book of Ephesians here. Maybe you've got something you want to say too, but uh, note as we wrap up here, Ephesians is the book on the church. I mean, this is the theme of the book. Uh, The church is God's idea. It's his doing. Christ is building his church and it will be completed, which is an amazing thing. When you think about everything that the church has, the inward battles, outward battles, flesh battles, everything that goes on all the time, a motley crew that comes from every background imaginable with all kinds of baggage you just can never, how in the world is this ever going to work? This is a God thing. The church is a God thing. Only God could take people like you and me, put us together and say, this is my representation on planet earth. Uh, This is a God thing. This is what God is doing in the world today. He's building a church. This is the church age. By the way, if that's true, if Christ is building his church and this is a church age, it might be a good idea to make this the priority of your life. I mean, this is what God is doing in the world. The church is the people. It's a forever family made up of whosoever comes to Christ in saving faith. All in the church are spiritual equals with unparalleled spiritual blessing in Christ. When one becomes a Christian, they immediately enter into intimate relationship with Christ, but also with his body, that is fellow believers. Uh, Two aspects of that gospel, right? Christ died for my sins, was buried, rose again. Christ put me in union with you. Second aspect of the gospel, second tier of the gospel. Christ died to make the church possible. Uh, That's Ephesians chapter 5, related to that marriage uh, passage. Uh, Marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship to the church, uh, the whole church, not just me individually. Yes, me individually, but but more than that, bigger than that. And then uh, the church universal, the first part of the book of Ephesians speaks in terms of the universal church as involving every believer from the day of Pentecost, the beginning of the church in Acts 2, until the rapture. All who uh, will be believers in the church age are part of this universal church. So, you know, some of the churches in heaven, some of the churches on earth, those who have died and gone to heaven, they're part of the church. We're, we're all part of this forever family called the bride of Christ or the church of Christ. But the local church is really where the action is, right? And there is this reality. But, uh, you know, we, we are not, uh, you know, uh, expecting the saints in heaven to show up, uh, not forsaking the assembly. They, they've been gone a while, right? They're not here. 
Uh, we're not holding them to that admonition to, uh, you know, not forsake the assembling. Uh, it's, the application is the local church. As we move into the practical section of the book, the practical application of the church truth by necessity implies an emphasis on the local church. You can't practically love and experience body life on a, on a universal church scale. This happens in the context of the local body. In effect, each local church is a microcosm of the universal church. There are 114 references to the church in the New Testament. 90 of them refer to the local church. In practice, this is where the church truth is lived out. The last message Christ gave to the church was in Revelation 1 through 3, where seven local churches are addressed. Isn't that kind of interesting? Last message to the church is to the churches. Spirit says to the churches. He constantly has constant refrain there. One more slide, I think. Uh, the local church is the place of assembly and mutual edification. It's a place where gift use takes place for the building up of the body. It's a place where recognized leadership called elders is in place. It's a place where there is accountability. God designed this to function in the context of a local body of believers. That is why we have the multitude of one another emphases in Ephesians, etc. If we're going to serve God faithfully and intelligently in keeping with sound doctrine, we will realize that commitment to a local body is not optional. It's essential. This is God's plan and program for this age. I don't believe that anyone can really be faithful in serving Christ who is not vitally plugged into and rooted in the local church. That's my conviction in terms of my study of the New Testament scriptures. And so the church, the book of Ephesians, that's what it's all about. You have the positional reality and then you have the practical reality, the last half of the book. It's what it's all about in this age in which we live, the church age. All right. Any other thoughts as we wrap up here? Yes, John. Yeah. Well, amen. And I think that's kind of in relationship to not forsaking the assembling. He says, and so much more as you see the day approaching. I think we feel that pressure in the world. There is this great divide in these days of apostasy. And as believers, we need one another. We need the encouragement. And uh, you get somebody out here who's, who's a rogue, who's just kind of you know, doing their own independent thing, they're in trouble. They're in trouble, I, I think, in these days. We, we certainly need each other. That's what the New Testament teaches. I believe it. All right. Any other thoughts? Yeah. I was thinking about the protection that the, that the church has. Yeah. Those who have the parachurch organizations, they do not come under authority Right. the church, and we see them fall. We do, and we see doctrinal compromise because uh, of the, their looseness out here. It's not healthy over the long haul. Not that God doesn't ever use, his truth is truth wherever it goes. But as far as the structure of what's going on out there, God didn't give us a plan B. Just one plan, the church. All right, any other thoughts? Very good. Let's go ahead and share some prayer requests. Uh, Anybody need a prayer sheet?